And welcome back. Thanks for joining us again on the Peachtree Post. Reporting from the uh, Manager Watch Bunker 2016. We're always watching something. I'm Jarrett Smith, live in Smyrna, Georgia. And with me, as always, south of town, our resident chief airport and soccer professional. That'd be Jason Longshore. Jason, what's going on? Not much. Uh, emerging from the bunker that I've been in all day on this one. Um, that's fair. Um, hey man, it's manager watch again, whether you guys like it or not, <laughs> there's think, always a watch going on in Atlanta United. Yeah. Especially when it comes to manager, anytime anybody mentions a possibility for manager, cause there's been so few rumors on this, uh, everybody jumps into action on it. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't see why not. You had one today that was totally legit in the sense that, uh, media has picked up on it outside of the continental United States and outside of the United States in general. So this is one we have to consider. If you're just joining us, if you don't check Twitter, if you don't check Dirty South Soccer, you're doing it wrong, for one thing. Uh, by the way, you can still find Dirty South Soccer, part of the SB Nation network of blogs, of websites. As well, you can find us online. Jason Longshore can be found at Longshoe. I can be found at Jarrett underscore Smith. Now back to what we were saying. Uh, there's manager news for Atlanta United. Uh, Tata Martino, which some of you may know the name, has been linked kind of out of nowhere, like a Dudley boy arrival at a WWE event coming out of nowhere and uh, has been linked to Atlanta United, and it got serious really quickly, Jason. Yeah, uh, not what I expected the morning to get going with today. Uh, Moises Linares from... Washington, D.C. He is with Telemundo in Washington. He also covers D.C. United. Uh, he was the first to report it that Gerardo Tata Martino would be Atlanta United's first coach and said that the two parties have been negotiating and Martino's the chosen one. Um, not a whole lot after that. Uh, I reached out to Moises. Um, he said he really didn't have anything else on that other than you know he had a source at the club who you know, gave him the information. Um you know, Dirty South, we did our report on it early on, and it took a while, but uh, our friends over at Don Ballon USA, uh, Patricio Montalbetti is based in Atlanta, he's Argentinian, he started researching it with some of his connections in Argentina and found that there were legs to it, um, had some, some different people verify it early on, and, and they went with a report uh, probably around 5, 5.30, and then it started to really spread after uh, Dirty South responded to that as well. And ESPN in Argentina and every major soccer outlet in Argentina is reporting on it. Um, it varies from some saying they're negotiating, some saying they're talking, some saying uh, Martino is in Atlanta, and some saying it's a done deal. So it's, it's all over the place in where this stands right now. That's so. I was about to say. So we're like we're literally covering everything. Like it could be anything. We could we could. This could be the only time we hear about it. Uh, this could be. I don't think that's the case, and that's that's something that has popped up a little bit with some people saying like, "Oh, it's just one of these rumors." I, I think there's something to it. Um, now, does that guarantee that he's the manager? No, not at all. I mean, things can fall apart until that contract signs and he's announced. 
but there's something going on. I don't think we can question that at this point. Uh, is it, is he, you know, a candidate? I think it's past that. Is he a finalist? I think we're probably in that stage and, you know, is he the guy? We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that's, and that's where I'm kind of thinking is like, it's not like Martinez, uh, Roberto Martinez, where we had, you know, you know, Belgium accidentally shoplifted him. Um, it's the best way I can view it. Uh, it's not like that where it kind of, we kind of talked about it and then it never happened. This absolutely, for all we know, I mean, we could not hear about it for a week and something happens or, you know, we could all get an email tomorrow morning announcing, hey, there's a press conference with Atlanta United. You'll never guess what it is. <laughs> I I think there's definitely something happening here. Um, again, I'm not saying he's going to be the manager. I'm saying that there are conversations being had and offers being made. I, I feel pretty comfortable with, with everything that's been reported so far and in that that is the case. Um you know, it's an it's a really interesting move because anybody who said that once Martino left the Argentine national team after the Copa America Centenario, that oh yeah, he's the prime candidate for Atlanta United. If anybody says they were thinking that, they're lying to you. Um, does this mean we're getting messy? Okay, get out. <laughs> um, no, this is this is crazy. Uh you know, we were talking about it with the, the Dirty South crew on our, our chat. And, you know, you start looking at, is this the biggest name that MLS has hired as a manager? And it's in the conversation. Um, it's in that ballpark. You know, you have had a World Cup winner manage in MLS. Uh, Carlos Alberto Pereira uh, managed the Metro Stars back in 97. It didn't go very well, but I don't think it went well for anybody managing the Metro Stars at that time. Um, Tata, you know, is he's been around, he's got a ton of experience and a lot of different experience. So when you start to dig into, you know, what you might expect with him, I, I like it more and more, the more I, I read, the more I learn about it. Uh, yeah, this is a guy who has managed national teams with Paraguay and Argentina. Uh, he's managed club teams with a wide range of resources um, from clubs in Paraguay that he's won national titles with to Newell's old boys in Argentina um, to Barcelona. And you start to look at, you know, a lot of people considered his his year at Barcelona a failure because they, they only won the Super Cup that year. They didn't win the league. They didn't win uh, Copa del Rey. But to be he, fair, they lost the league on the last day of the year, I think. Exactly. And he was kind of in that transition too, like, and we can get into it in a minute when you get more into what that year was like for Barca. But a lot of the things that that Barca do well now kind of really started that year with with Martino. It doesn't help having arguably the greatest player of all time at you know playing on your team. But yeah, I mean, there they, that team really got built up after that point, and there's I really don't think there was anything negative about that season other than you know there weren't maybe enough trophies it's not like when uh Bayern Munich won what was it four or five trophies that year when they won Champions League yeah and beat Dortmund uh I think they won they won I think they won every competition they entered and it wasn't necessarily just like that but I mean it's there's still there was no shame in that and it's not like his tenure at Barcelona was a total failure where you see a guy who you know maybe had a Champions League run or 
uh, starts, I'm sorry, not a Champions League run, but like had a run with a national team and like, oh, he coached the club team and it went up in flames. It was solid. He's been solid. I mean, if I can ask you, Jason, I mean, are there any downsides you see potentially to this? Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest one, well, there's two. The biggest two, uh, no MLS experience, no American soccer involvement. Uh, that can definitely be seen as a, as a negative. You have had managers come into MLS and struggle when they don't know the league. Um, we'll see what the coaching staff looks like. He's had a group that he's worked with pretty consistently uh, at Newell's Old Boys and then at Barca and then with the Argentine national team. And you would expect at least some of them to be involved. But there could be an MLS you know, type of coach on the assistant staff as well. We'll, we'll see if, if all this comes to fruition. The other is uh, it's unclear how well he speaks English. Um, I don't think that's a huge hurdle to overcome, uh, especially dependent on your staff. If you have a, a bilingual assistant you trust, I think you can make it work. Um, he can always learn in the meantime. We'll see where it goes. Uh, that, you know, those are two things that could be issues, but if you can get a manager of this ilk, um, because I mean, let's be honest, how many managers who their last two jobs are the Argentine national team who went to two finals, two continental finals back to back and Barcelona who lost La Liga on the last day of the season. That's his last two jobs. One before that, he won the Argentine league with Newell's old boys. So you're going to get that guy to come be your first manager in MLS. That's pretty amazing that that this is the conversation we're having right now. Yeah, and let's not forget, um, he already has a freakishly talented and young Argentine weapon here waiting for him. I wonder how much that kind of played a part in this. Could be. Um, it's a nice bonus to have. Uh having Hector Vishalba already on this roster, he, he would be a player that he was just starting to break in at San Lorenzo uh, with Martino's last year at Newell's. So I'm sure he's familiar with him. I'm sure being, you know, the manager with Argentina, he's kept up with the young talent on the rise in the country. So player that I'm sure he's familiar with, uh, you know, hasn't worked with, but uh, he fits the style that Martino has had fairly consistently over the years at the different clubs. The thing about Martino that's really jumped out to me, the more I research it is he, his adaptability um, is rarely seen at this type of level. I mean, pretty much when you think of Guardiola, you know how they're going to play uh, Mourinho, you know how they're going to play Martino can, play like you've seen a lot with Argentina where they would high press and cause turnovers. Um, but then he also took Paraguay to, you know, the brink of eliminating Spain in 2010 in the world cup. And Paraguay had to adjust when they lost uh, Cabanas or forward and they had to become much more defensive and to the, you know, to the degree that people just hated playing against this team because they were so tough to deal with and they were so defensive um, he's not, you know, a defensive coach. He comes out of the Marcelo Bielsa school of, of style, but he's more pragmatic with it than Bielsa and probably Guardiola as well. He will adjust. He will counter you. He will 
even adjust in games where he'll sit back for a period of time and he'll play pretty direct and then things change and he, he always adjusts and that's something you don't see much of in MLS. So if you get a coach who's doing those things in the league and being able to build up a team around it, it, it could be pretty special. And let me ask you this, because we've discussed this idea before with managers, um, whether you bring in somebody young or you know a more experienced veteran, do you think he's the kind of guy who hangs around for a long time and kind of stays as that first Atlanta manager who's here for you know five, six plus years, uh, the the uh, the Siggy model, or is he? Might he be the kind of guy you bring in, lay the groundwork, and hand off to an assistant, a la Josh Wolf, because everybody likes that idea in two years, maybe. Uh I, and I don't know. That's that's the interesting question. Um, you start to look at you know his his career. He was with Argentina after World Cup 2014 through Copa America Centenario, and he his contract was actually longer, but he left due to the issues with the Argentine Federation. Um, you know, don't get it twisted that he was fired or anything after Centenario. Uh, he left, and he left because one report is that he hadn't been paid in seven months. So, oh, that'll do it. Yeah, you know, um, there were issues. Players had issues with the Federation at that point. If you remember Messi posting a picture about how their travel arrangements were set up. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, all kinds of problems. So he he walked from Argentina. He was at Barca for a year. He signed a two-year deal. He had agreed to leave um, after the first year. He wasn't very happy. Um, wasn't happy with the performances. Wasn't happy with just the, his situation. He was at Newell's for a year. Um he went back there to really fix things. That was the club he played for as a player. Um, he is a legend at Newell's. He played, you know, almost 500 times with the club. Um, one of their most revered players. And they were struggling at the bottom of the Argentine league. And he left Paraguay, who he had had that 2010 World Cup, good run, was a runner-up in the 2011 Copa America with Paraguay. Um, another strong performance, and you've seen how they've fallen off since he left. He went to Newell's and took that team that had been at the bottom to a title and nearly to a Copa Libertadores title, uh, which was pretty amazing. And you compare that Newell's team to the Barcelona team the following year, and they're very different. Um, Newell's played more kind of like you'd think Guardiola's Barca teams played, uh, more pressing, more fat, uh, you know, more, less direct, different things were going on with Barca. You could see that he definitely came in with an idea that we need to have more options. We can't just be Tiki Taka all over the place because this Barca team was coming off of the seven, seven nil thrashing by Bayern Munich in oh, Champions yeah. League. And that showed that, hey, if, if Tiki, Tiki Taka wasn't on, they didn't have a plan B. You could tell Martino's role and his idea coming in was to develop that plan B. That was one of the major things he had going on. Um, he's bounced around some, but what jumped out to me was a quote he made after uh, really even, I think this might have been before he went to Barca or right after he went to Barca. Um 
he said, now I've accomplished my two personal objectives that will allow me to continue my coaching career without any problems. I managed in a World Cup and I managed Newell's. There are no more dreams remaining. So he's not a guy who's like going to be looking to go to a huge club in Europe. He's not you know, looking for that. I think he likes the project and he likes the idea of building something here. Uh, you don't get this opportunity in you know world soccer to build something from scratch and really build it in his image. And he's a guy coming from the Bielsa school who has that idealism of what, what soccer should be and how they should play. And now he's going to be able to mold that from scratch with a brand new team um, in, in a different league for him. I, I think he's excited by that type of project and that's probably an appealing part of it. And I, I mean, I hope it is as well. And I hope that's something we can look forward to. And just so we're clear and just so nobody gets nervous about the idea of, you know, if he's going to do, you know, what, like what if he comes in and wants to do his thing? Let's be clear that a lot of the decisions we've seen so far, like, it's been hard-pressed to find a decision that you looked at uh, Eels and Bocanegra and went, ah, I don't really like that. That wasn't good. They've made the, they've made good calls so far, and I have no reason to believe that if they sat down and talked with the uh, talked with the Tata, that um, whatever he's told them or whatever he's discussed with them, if this is the case, they're on board with it. If it's gotten to if it has gotten to this point, he's talked with them. They've sat down more than once and come to a conclusion that this might be something that they want to do. So there's the agreement's going to be there if this happens. It's not going to be like we're taking a chance on a big name. No, we're bringing in a name who we are all on the same page with. Yeah, and when you go back through Martino's history, he's not a guy who left a club because he didn't get the players he wanted or you know, he's not a guy who's went to a club thinking he would be able to call the shots on every player that comes in. That's that's not his M.O. Um, I mean, he went to Barca. You're not going to go into Barca and be able to say, yeah, I want this guy and this guy and this guy. It's not how it works. Nobody gets that. So that's not an issue. And I think, you know, sometimes as fans, we get hung up on, you know, oh, the coach is going to want to come in and you know just bring in the players they want. And that rarely happens in MLS and England, anywhere in the world, that rarely happens. You know, yeah, the, let's be clear. Manchester United is a really rare case this year. Exactly, and you know that you're talking about a manager who's won you know leagues all over the world and could call a shot. Um, not many managers get that opportunity, so I don't think he's coming in here for that. Will he have input? Yeah, absolutely. You'd be an idiot not to give him input. But is he going to be signing players? No. That's why you have a technical director. That's why you have an assistant GM and Paul McDonough. That's why you have Darren Eels there. They're going to go out and get the guys. And now they're going to know kind of what he's wanting. Um, stylistically, he he can vary. Um, he has some common threads, but he can mix it up and adjust to what he has and to what his opponent has. Yeah. Well, and... You know, we keep seeing more and more things popping up on Twitter with people saying this is or isn't happening. And uh, Jason, you know, we'll keep it up to date. Everyone, keep an eye. Dirty South Soccer, Peachtree Post. Keep an eye to Twitter. Keep an eye to the sky. We'll light the beacons if and when there is more news. Uh, 
of course, you know, there's not much else to say at this point. Now it's get excited, hurry up and wait mode. There, there's some things about him that, you know, as, as you're, you're really hearing this and you're like, okay, Tata Martino, you know, I know he was at Barca and he left after a year. I know he was with Argentina and they got to two finals and lost in the finals. What is he going to bring to the table here? Um, you go back and you study what he did at Barcelona and you look at what you can find of what he did at Newell's and they're very different and they were a year apart. And that to me says a lot about his ability as a manager um, at Barca. He, he gave them the alternatives to Tiki Taka that I think Luis Enrique is kind of built on um, Barca never counterattacked before Martino. I mean, when Martino, one of the things that stood out to me looking back at his Barca run early on, he won or he didn't lose, I think, in his first 21 games, which was insane to come into a new club and do that. Um, the media went nuts in Spain kind of midway through that when they had a 4-0 win. I believe it was over uh, Rayo Vallecano. They win 4 nothing, and the media goes nuts complaining about the performance because it was the first time in like six or seven years Barca had fewer passes and fewer possession percentage than their opponent. And they won four nothing. So uh, you, you can't make everybody happy all the time. It's it's craziness. Like, you know, you start to look at the things he would do with that team. He would have them almost like play rope a dope um early on in games. He would sit his defense would sit more and he'd let teams kind of run themselves out. He did it to your Celtic in Champions League. Let's not um, talk about that. Sorry, but the <laughs> no, highlights... No, were, you're absolutely right. The highlights were really interesting to watch because um, I think the first game had been a draw or it was really tight. And the adjustments he made, he had his back line sit really deep early on, which was very different for Barcelona. And it's like he waited for about 15 minutes and you could see Celtic was up for it and they had some chances. And Valdez in goal only touched the ball with his hands like one more time in the game after the first 15 minutes. It kind of it kind of reminded me of watching Juventus on steroids. You know, when Juventus gets into the Champions League and they just decide, okay, especially when Pirlo was there, when it's like, we're just going to sit. We're Come on, we're going to bring you into the game. And instead of just that, we're going to throw a couple counter punches. They just set into the game and decided, okay, we're done sitting in the game, and we've seen what you got. Now we're going to throw ours. Yeah, it was almost. I was reading one description of it, and it was it was kind of cool the way the guy put it. Uh, they called it the lure. Like he would, and then uh, Martino has a term for it called a uh, verticalidad, like verticality. So he would use a direct ball at times in different ways. And sometimes he would do it to almost give you the ball back and say, okay, here, you can have it. And against Celtic, for example, he knew that Celtic couldn't play possession against him. But so he gave, so he gave them the ball and said, okay, here you go. And then Celtic got more frustrated and couldn't get, make anything happen. And then Barca took over Um, that, that vertical ball could then also be used in other ways as the game would go on. So he has this thing where, and he did it with Barca probably the best. And I think you saw it with Argentina at times too, where you would see direct play to get out of trouble um, or just to mix it up and give a different look. And then you'd see possession in the other team's half. So you see that variety. It's not 
just one or the other, but he could adjust. It was really interesting to see. And I think it's a level of tactics that you're not going to see a whole lot of at the M- in MLS. And, you know, if, if he's the manager and he, he brings that to the league, it's pretty exciting. I think it's a big development for the league. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I'm excited. I hope it happens. Um, and we, we've done this with a couple coaches where they get mentioned and, and I just, I get pumped up about the idea and I, I don't want to, part of me thinks it's because I'm getting just anxious, but you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I hope we eventually end up getting that email of, Hey, Atlanta United is holding a press release. So get, or a press or, you know, a press conference. So get ready. Also make sure you bring someone who is bilingual. That's probably advised. <laughs> Could be. Um, it, I mean, it's just to me, when you start to see Sports Center in Buenos Aires posting graphics about, you know, Atlanta United and posting graphics about Martino and with the Atlanta United and the last clubs he's been with, th- there's something going on. Um, yeah. It might not get done. Things can always fall apart at the last minute, but there are talks being had and it's it's pretty exciting. The names we've seen mentioned, though, keep telling me, though, that Atlanta United is uh, certainly uh, setting their sights high. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's the biggest thing is, you know, look at look at what's been done so far with signing a young designated player, with signing, you know, non-designated players of the like of Kenwin Jones and Chris McCann. And by the way, when you start to dig into how Martino's teams have played, McCann especially is a really good fit because you look at how he wants a defensive midfielder who can play by themselves, but can play and isn't just a, a destroyer. Isn't just a ball winner. Somebody who can, who can play and pass is critical. And McCann from, from everything we've, we've heard so far could be a perfect fit for that, for that situation. And Vishalba obviously with, you know, you look at how wide players played with Barcelona. I mean, come on, Vishalba's slots right into that. It's great. Yeah, and uh, like I said, we'll keep you up to date. Whatever happens, we got you covered over at Dirty South Soccer and on the Peachtree Post. Uh, Jason, as we shift from manager to player now, it came out that the expansion draft is still going to happen. There were a lot of questions leading up to Minnesota becoming uh, the next MLS team, and a lot of those questions got answered. And in a way, we didn't really expect uh, new rules with the expansion draft. It's going to be five instead, uh, only five players now. And uh, so, Jason, what does that mean for Atlanta United and their uh, their pickings? I think what it comes down to is with with five fewer picks, you've got to make them count, and you can't take risks. So you've got to look at players who are going to be able to contribute. And when you start to do the breakdown of of filling out the roster with, with other player acquisition methods. Uh, you want to hit on all five of these picks. You want all five of these players to contribute in your first year. I think, you know, or you get somebody and trade it for somebody who will contribute. That's fine too. But these five picks have to result in at least five players who are doing something for you in year one. Yeah. And that's a big thing to me is, I'm okay with this in the sense of, okay, let's go get five guys instead of let's go get five guys and then we'll just, you know, burn five picks on, you know, a guy who might develop but probably won't or a guy we can trade later for target allocated money. Just, I'm okay with it cutting it down to five. It feels cleaner. Five seemed right. I mean, you look at Orlando and New York City. Orlando had 
four players resulting from the expansion draft. Uh, three were direct picks, and one, uh, Colin, was acquired by trading a player from the expansion draft. New York City had five guys. These are on their opening day rosters, um, game day rosters. So four or five guys fits right in. Um, I think it makes sense. And I really do think it was a compromise. I think a lot of teams around the league did not want the expansion draft to come back. They didn't want to risk losing you know, up to two players. So now each team can only lose one player and they cut it down to you know, five picks for each team. So that's 10 players you're going to move in the expansion draft between Atlanta and Minnesota. I think it was a compromise to help the expansion teams, you know, add a few players, but also not hurt the existing teams too much. Now, let me ask you, if Atlanta United had been an NASL team like Minnesota coming in and had already had, you know, a player base to work with ahead of time, do you think they would have brought it back at all? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it probably would have been this type of format because, again, look at Orlando. Uh, Orlando, their 18-man game day roster, opening day 2015, they had two players come up from USL. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's – now, let me let me clarify that because there were a couple players who they acquired through transfers – who played in USL, but they were signed to MLS deals. So they were already signed to MLS deals. So in this case, if Atlanta had a team, you know, O2, uh, Burgos, Tambacus would have played here instead of being loaned out. That That's the difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm hoping that Atlanta finds their way into like, I'm, and it's wishful thinking. Maybe it's not, though. I would love to find a knock, uh, 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 McNamara kind of guy in that sort of expansion draft that'd be ideal um, and just to shout it out Jason and Rob over at Dirty South been doing the Lord's work and going team by team at who you might expect to see in the expansion draft both given their hot takes uh, agreeing disagreeing it's actually a lot of fun to keep an eye out but it helps you if you're not really familiar with MLS it's a good way to get in with the names that you might see suiting up next year um, names that you might not see it's it's a good little way to kind of look at who you might expect and to go team by team. And this is something that Atlanta could run into down the line when uh, LA comes in, when and if Miami comes in, which may not be till, you know, 3000 by now, that's the rate we're going. So it's, it's definitely something worth looking into. Uh, it's updated. What is it, Jason, is it daily or doing it? No, we're doing Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're taking a new team each day. Um, just had Columbus today. Uh, on Thursday, uh, and then we'll get it started again next Tuesday. It's it's a kind of a fun starting point because it, one, it's really hard because there's a lot of things with the roster rules about who can be protected and who doesn't need to be protected, and you're taking some guesses on some of that uh, generation Adidas guys who graduated at the end of this year. We don't know who they are yet. Um, so we're kind of taking some guesses and definitely some of the other, you know, SB Nation blogs have chimed in with, no, we would we would protect this guy instead of this guy. And it's it's a cool starting point because we're, you know, three months out. So we'll see how it adjusts. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to reading more about it, especially as we get into more of these teams. Um Right now, you say right now you just did Columbus. We still have a lot to go. The Chicago Fire one might actually set your computer on fire in a bad way. I would advise um, <laughs> being very careful there. Um, but as we get into you know teams that are more recognizable, it gets really interesting. I'm really interested to see what you have in mind with Dallas, a team that 
uh, as we'll get to later, is kind of laid out a groundwork of how you can build a quality MLS team through the academy about who's going to be protected, who's not going to be protected. So I'm excited about it, and I hope you guys are too. And again, go check it out Tuesdays and Thursdays, Dirty South Soccer. Learn more about the expansion. And uh, Jason, the expansion draft is just one way they can go about getting players. Yeah, there's a ton of ways Atlanta's going to build this roster. It's it's not just the expansion draft. I, I think we've tried to kind of stress that over the this year of just saying, like, if the expansion draft happens, cool. If it doesn't, that's okay, too. There's going to be ways to sign players. So they're not going to you know take 70-plus million dollars from Atlanta and Minnesota and then say, oh, yeah, you can't build a good team. Sorry. That's That's stupid. MLS is not that stupid. So there's going to be a lot of different ways to build this team. Uh, I had a piece today about I think nine player acquisition methods that Atlanta United will use to build this team. And when you start to look at how many players will come from each method, it's pretty well distributed and you can get different types of players in different ways. By the um, way, that's, that's not nearly as clickbaity as, the, as he might have made it sound. No, that's just legitimately what it is. Like, I really wasn't going for, like, the... The, the fourth scroll. one will shock you. Yeah. Wait till you see number seven. <laughs> League GMs hate number two. <laughs> oh, man, I missed all of this. I should have done it. Actually, um, League GMs might hate number two because it's free agency. Uh, <laughs> Yes, this is true. So we'll run through them really quick. Uh, the yeah. piece was posted today on Dirty South Soccer. Um. I'll give a little more background on it, kind of at a a glance here. So the expansion draft, like I said, I think you want to get, you know, five players out of it. You know, whether it's players you pick or trades you make, I think you want to have five players come out of that. So then free agency. Free agency is pretty new in MLS. It started last year. Uh, There's some very specific things on how players qualify for that. Um, Read the article. We don't need to get into super detail here, but... Know this, last year, 27 players were eligible, 10 signed with new clubs, 6 re-signed, and a couple others did different things. Out of those free agents who signed this year, Drew Moore went to Toronto and has been a key starter for them. Jeff Lorenowitz and Mike McGee went to the Galaxy and have been you know in and out of the starting lineup, been big off the bench. They've both been very important. Uh, Michael Harrington's played a good bit with Chicago at outside back. Um other guys have been, you know, more role players or players off the bench. So you're seeing a mix of players that can come out of free agency. I think Atlanta is going to sign them. They can sign up to two players in free agency. I think they'll probably sign two. And you, you want to get a starter out of that, I think. I think that you can find a starter available. Um, the next one's the waiver draft. And... There's only one player selected last year through the waiver process, which has different rules about who's eligible for that. But that player was Michael Azira by Colorado, who he only played 11 games with Seattle in his first two years. He's appeared in 26 games so far with Colorado and been a key for them. So you can get something out of it. Uh, It's going to depend on who's available. I think Atlanta will probably get somebody out of that. I don't know if they'll be as, as impactful as Azira, but... Yeah, that's what you're hoping for. I think that's a key that you're making right there of the last two is that you can get somebody. And that's a key with all nine of these. You can get somebody. It's not like you have nine methods and only one or two of them are going to fetch you starters or 
contributors off the bench or just depth and fodder for trades later. Like this is nine ways you can get a player. And if you do it right, and maybe if you get a bit lucky, let's, let's not pretend luck's not involved in some capacity here. Uh, you can get a key player. Like this isn't just where only two of these matter. Like all nine of these can be beneficial. Yeah. The big one for me is the reentry draft. Um, and I just, I will always remember DC United in 2013 when that season they were terrible. They won three league games. They picked up three massively important players in the reentry process. Sean Franklin, Bobby Boswell, who are both still there and Fabian Espindola, who they traded this season and was like their most influential attacking player since they got him. Those three guys rebuilt that team and they, you know, essentially did a worst to first in the Eastern Conference. Uh, last year, Dallas traded allocation money to Chicago to get the top pick and they took Maxi Arruti, who has been good for them this year. Um, really good in the Open Cup. Uh, Sporting picked Alec Kahn. Um, Kevin Alston went to Orlando and he's played a lot for them. Jermaine Taylor went to Portland and he's played a lot for them. I think the reentry draft, you really want to hit there. And I think you're going to hit on some starters and some key starters. Uh, it's divided into two stages and there's different contract implications on if you pick a player in stage one or stage two. Oh, but, there's a flow chart needed for all of this. Yeah. And I, I didn't get to draw that because I probably would have broken things before I finished it. No, that's fine. Um, it's extremely complicated, but getting into it, like there's lots of, there's lots of little things when you start to get into, you know, you have to be a certain age and play a certain number of years to qualify here, qualify there. But the actual methods and how it'll affect Atlanta United is is not that hard to understand. It will flow and it will play out over the December, January time period. Um, lower division signings is another one. I, I think you'll see, you know, one or two guys come in on the roster that way. You've got some options in Charleston, and you've got some options in other NASL or USL teams. By the way, this is where your Poku fantasies uh, come to life, y'all who are still on the Poku train, for better or worse. Um, this is where that kind of slots in. Uh, the question I have for you, Jason, is um, is there a risk of somebody coming in, swooping, and taking some of the talent from USL? I mean, I know Atlanta has uh, right, has uh, first-come, first-served rights on a number of these players, but do they run the risk of uh, another MLS team maybe trying to swoop in and grab some of the talent out of Charleston? That's where it's a little tricky. Um, from my understanding, and I'm not an MLS GM, so don't quote me on this, uh, I don't think so on certain players. From my understanding, because Charleston is our affiliate, we can have up to three players on Charleston's roster that we would have priority on. So we can declare whatever those three players are. Um, my guess is Michael Chang and Ferguson, the center back, are two of those. I don't know who the third one might be at this point. Um, you also have, of course, the priority on the players that you have under contract there. Uh, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. One of the things that was clarified in yeah, the it's not, it's expansion not like, draft announcement. It's not, like, it's not like uh, Sh- Chicago's going to swoop in and grab Carlton. So let's exactly. put that to bed. Let's, exactly. let's just calm yeah. that down right now. Yeah. there's a, There was one thing in the expansion draft announcement that we're still trying to get a little clarification on. Uh, Minnesota obviously has priority over their whole roster. They can sign whoever they want out of that. Um, 
they gave Atlanta United priority over one other player of their choosing from NASL or USL. And I don't know how that works. Like, I don't know if, if they can just say Jimmy Maurer or Quacho Poku that that's their guy and they would have the priority over anybody else in the league. I, that's how I read it. I don't know if that's exactly it. Um, I don't know. Anyway, so next, Jason, is the uh, basically what people – we're getting to stuff now that people know, like the Super Draft. The Super Draft is big. Um, Kyle Aaron came out of the Super Draft this past year. Philly got three of the top six picks, uh, did some great draft day trading, and got two starting defenders out of it uh, for the future with Josh Arrow and Keegan Rosenberry. The draft, I think if, if you can trade and get some other picks – I think you'd like to, especially top 10. I think if you're getting top 10 players in the super draft, you're expecting them to start or play a lot of minutes in, in their first year. Yeah. And I'm hoping, and you know, we'll know coin flip as we get into it. Um, as we've been told, always choose tails. Uh, <laughs> I still, I disagree. Um, I don't, I, I don't have a preference here. I've never developed a preference in coin flips um, for better or worse. If you got a top two pick, uh, you want a starter. So, I mean, make yeah. It happen. yeah, I mean, just looking at the list of who's coming out, who's available. This is before players get signed at Generation Adidas deals. There's going to be some depth in this draft, and especially oh. the top two, you're going to get an impact player top two. You absolutely should. There's a bunch of forwards, um, so keep that in mind. Probably some of your top picks are, are forwards. Um, Ebbabees is one of them who's at Charleston I'm, right now, and I've liked what I've seen out of him. I am, I am on that train. I'm on that train to play up front with uh, with Kenwin Jones and play off his shoulder. Yeah, I've I've really liked what I've seen out of him. Um, good good all around player. So he's going to benefit from his time in Charleston as well. Yeah. Uh, the transfer market is kind of the next one, and and it's it's a little tricky. This transfer window uh, it officially opened at least past year. It officially opened February 18th, but you had players getting announced throughout January, you had a lot of players come over on loan in this window. And when you start to think about it, it makes sense. You know, you have the clubs overseas are in the middle of their season. They're not as likely to sell a bunch of players. So you're probably going to be looking at players who are on the outs and you can get some of those guys on loan. So their club keeps their rights, but loan amounts, they get to play, whatever. Uh, you might find some guys. I mean, Bastian Schweinsteiger is one that's been talked about. Who I was afraid to go there, so I'm glad you did it for me. No, I mean, he's he's going to go somewhere in January. Uh, don't know if it's Atlanta. Don't know if it's Chicago. Don't know if it's somewhere else in the league. Um, Kesuke Honda is another one who's been mentioned here, but he's been linked specifically to L.A. and New York. I, okay, that one's been fascinating to me. Now that he's kind of on the outs, that one's crossed my mind a couple times. Like, that would be really interesting. Last time we brought a Japanese star to Atlanta was uh, Kinshin Kawakami, though, man, and I don't. Then th- that didn't go well. Ooh, ooh, that's that's bad karma right there. I know, right? Um, but that's a name. But you know that name. I, I keep seeing it pop up. I think I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I if think he. Make it, if you can make it happen financially, I'd be cool. I'd be okay with that. I think he's got his mindset on New York or L.A. And another thing to keep in mind going into this transfer window. You're going to have New York City possibly looking to replace Lampard and Pirlo. Uh, I believe both their deals are up. 
you're going to have L.A. looking to replace Steven Gerrard and possibly Robbie Keane. So that's two big spending teams in the market. Got to remember that for some of these players that we're talking about. And like we said about Chicago, you have a team that's desperate to do something. Um, it's going to be a pretty wild transfer market, I think. Yeah, and um, like you said, I mean, you're going to have guys on the way out. Uh, this is going to be post-Champions League, so, I mean, you might run into the situation where uh, you might run into the situation where somebody's just gotten knocked out of Champions League or Europa League. Maybe they're open to loan or sell. Maybe they want to bring people in and they just want to clear a spot out. So there's definitely a possibility. Um, it's, we, like you said, we won't know until we get closer to it. Yeah, you're going to find some guys there. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is the allocation order. And that's something that Atlanta spot will be decided in the priority draft, like you talked about with the coin flip, on October 16th. Um, the biggest reason that's important this time is Tim Ream has been rumored to be coming back to MLS, and he's on that list. So whoever has top spot in the allocation order will be in the prime spot to sign Tim Ream. Tim Ream, when you don't have any defenders on your roster right now, Tim Ream is a nice piece to build around to start. And you might, you might prioritize the allocation order top spot, possibly over the expansion draft top spot. I, I might, if I know I get Tim Ream out of it, I'm, I'm tempted. Yeah. I mean, cause you, you, I want to shore up that back line and I want a guy in Ream who I might be able to rely on for four or five years, hopefully, uh, to kind of shore up that back line for me and you know build around that. I'd be great with that. Yeah, you got to think about the timing too because you have to make that decision October 16th as to you know which top slots you prioritize. You're not going to have the protected list, so you're not going to know who's available in the expansion draft. You'll have a, a good sense of who's available in the super draft, but it won't be 100% because of the generation Adidas signings, the guys who are coming out of college early. Um, you will know that Tim Ream is possibly coming back to MLS. And if you get the top spot in the allocation order, you can sign him. So that's the only guarantee that you know about going into that. And like you said, if it comes down to it, if I think I can get him, I'm going to do that. And as you said, there's so much depth in the draft and there's so many different ways to get talent. If I can get a surefire guy like that, I, that might be the way I go. I might be with you on that. I'm, I, that's where I think I would go is I would if, if I win the coin flip by picking heads. Uh, sorry, Parker. <laughs> um, if I win that, then I would take the allocation order first, see what Minnesota does with which one they want, and then you know, I, if I could get the allocation order and the super draft top spot, I'd be ecstatic. I'd be jumping up and down. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's still plenty as we go through all these nine things, there's still plenty of opportunity for Atlanta United to really not only just fill out the roster, but fill it with a couple impact shots. And that's not even including, you know, guys you might pick up in free agency in the transfer market. We're talking about, you know, grabbing international names like this without even getting into those transfers or trades or whatnot, as you went on to say, uh, Jason, uh, speaking of next up, by the way, is trades within the league. And then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, both teams, Orlando and New York city, when they came in, were pretty active with trades and you haven't seen that yet with Atlanta or Minnesota. I think you will, especially as you get closer to the expansion draft, you start getting into, you know, a player, let's say Michael Parkhurst, who, 
is still a, a very good player in this league, but his contract is up at the end of the season, and Columbus hasn't really shown a, a lot of interest in re-signing him yet. So maybe they trade his rights ahead of the expansion draft. Who knows? It's Once MLS Cup ends, once the final whistle happens in MLS Cup on December 10th, it's on. And things are going to start happening fast. Because uh, you, you'll see that waiver draft, that reentry draft, the protected list, the expansion draft, all in the next seven days. Yeah. And then finally is the homegrown player signings. So um, this is where your Andrew Carlson comes into play and any other football messiahs that you can come up with off the top of your head. No, Jacob Eason does not play soccer. <laughs> I don't know. He might be a good goalkeeper. I'm not sure. Um, got a good arm, at least. Yeah, you don't have That's to worry about punting the ball so much. And he can beat Nickel State. Nickel <sighs> yeah, yeah. Shut up about that. Um, I'm trying to block that one out. That was that was a painful watch. Uh, the homegrown signings. I I think they'll probably sign another one. I think it's a safe bet to think that out of the the strength of this academy that they would have another player signed to this deal. It's the home a homegrown player is so helpful when it gets to your salary cap numbers and and how that works. You can basically get a guy for nothing against your cap. And if you feel like a Chris Goslin um, or Patrick Oconquo or different, there's different players in the Academy that are close. If you feel like they can help you go ahead and sign them. And this is the thing that this goes back to laying the groundwork with Atlanta United that we've been talking about for, you know, as long as we've been doing this podcast and people over in Dirty South and the Atlanta soccer community have been talking about when you lay the groundwork for the academy the way you have, this is the this is what you're going to reap off of that. You're you're laying the seeds then and you keep laying the seeds, this is what you get down the line is more homegrown signings and you kind of build that Dallas model. Yeah, you build that Dallas model and I think what Atlanta can be is the Dallas model on steroids because you're going to have a strong academy that right now, which has played a couple games, is one of the better ones in the league. You have a ton of youth national team players at different ages in this academy. So you're going to have players sign out of it. You're going to have homegrown players sign. But I think Atlanta is going to be a team, and just judging from – you know, being in a conversation about Tata Martino, whose last two jobs were Argentina and Barcelona as your manager, you're talking about a club that is not afraid to spend money. And Dallas doesn't have the same resources as Atlanta will. It's just a fact. So if Atlanta can combine developing from within with being able to go get a $2.5 million player as opposed to a $500,000 player, that's that's massive, and you haven't really truly seen that in MLS. Um, LA has done it in some ways, but where LA has has struggled at times is really incorporating the young players. And if you take Dallas's model, not just in developing, but then not being afraid of playing young players, and that's another thing when you get back to Tata Martino and that possibility – he has no problems with developing players and developing talent and playing young players. It's never been an issue for him. So he fits. And if you, it's one thing to sign a homegrown player. It's another to play them and develop them once they're signed. That's where some teams have struggled over the years. And LA is one of them. Um, If Atlanta can, can do that 
as well as sign those key international players and key big name signings, sky's the limit. And that's my favorite thing, and I've gone on record with this before, that's my favorite thing about the way everything's gone here is they're building from the ground up, but they absolutely have the money to to fire guns with the big boys. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta is not L.A. and it's not New York. I mean, you, you see it with Keisuke Honda. Keisuke Honda is linked to MLS, and the two teams that supposedly he wants to go to are New York and L.A., because that's what people know overseas. Um, Atlanta's going to take a minute, but... Being in these conversations with Martino, being in you know the links to Guardado in the past, signing players like Kenwin Jones, who's well known, um, Atlanta's Atlanta United will be known on the world stage soon, and Atlanta is a growing city. Atlanta will be able to spend with other teams in the league that are at the top end of spending if they so choose, if they develop it well enough from within. They're not going to have to necessarily spend crazy money because they'll develop their own talent. Yeah, and um, you know we'll see how we'll, we'll see how things go. And as you said, um, the closer we get to this, the uh, the closer we get to MLS Cup, and we're getting there. We're about to get into MLS here in a second, anyway. But as we get closer to it, you're really going to see things really speed up. So put on your kit. When you get your kit, because eventually, you know, it'll be for sale, hopefully before Christmas. So, um, you know, wear your kit all all winter and stay warm. And, you know, we'll try and keep up with everybody that's coming in. Because as we've talked about before, once it starts, once the ball starts rolling here, it's a big ball. It's rolling downhill and you're not going to stop it. If anything, you're just going to get in the way of it. It's going to start to roll at the end of the regular season when you have eight teams out of it. And they start to talk about who they're going to keep, who they're going to let go, who's going to get re-signed, who's out of contract. It'll start there. And then that final whistle of MLS Cup, it, it's going to it's gonna be lit. It's going to be very, very, very lit at that point. And get ready. You, you might want to plan on some days off in that week of December 12th because you're going to have an expansion draft to worry about. You're going to have waiver drafts and reentry drafts and all the trades and all the chaos that, that go along with it. So just get ready. Yeah. Um, as we kind of shift towards the MLS, Jason, uh, the playoff picture is kind of coming into view. Um, we're kind of, as we get closer here, teams are kind of separating or they're getting closer together in, in like things like the East, whereas in the West, uh, Zombie Sounders kind of got pushed down into the grave a bit. Um, meanwhile, Orlando keeps giving up goals and keeps winning at the same time. It's really, really impressive. Uh, but the playoff picture, and it's not even settled at the top as we, uh, as we take a look at, you know, teams that are giving up goals. Like, uh, well, since the last time we watched, uh, the Red Bulls forgot for about uh, three minutes how to defend in DC. And that was pretty entertaining. Ooh. And they've, they've given up a lot of points late in games and, that scares you going into the playoffs if you're, you know, with the Red Bulls. Absolutely, because that's what happens in the playoffs. You can't do it. You just can't. I mean, New York would be running away with the East if they hadn't given back all these points with giving up goals late. Um, and at this point, they're 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 tied for second, third with New York City FC. Uh, they're ahead on goal difference, but I mean, they're one more slip up away from having to play in the first round and giving up that bye. 
Yeah, it, it makes you wonder if the pressing style of Jesse Marsh, if the players are tired and if they get tired in games and if they're getting tired as the season goes on, this was actually something, you know, let's, let's bring it back to what we started the show with Tata Martino again uh, at Newell's this season that he, I think it was the year before he won uh, one of the Argentine league championships they ran into this problem because they played a high pressing style and you could see as that season went on, players got tired and they started giving up results late in the year. Is that happening with the Red Bulls? You have to wonder a little bit and that's where you have to develop that plan B where you have to be able to pick spots in games where you press and where you don't. And you have to figure out things tactically where you can give your players breathers and give them time to recover in games because you don't want them gassed in the 85th minute. You just don't want that no, situation. And then that be, we talk about this all the time in all sports about that's the team you don't want to see in the playoffs. If they're going to do that, that might be the team you do want to see in the playoffs. Yeah, it's the team that you think, okay, I've got a shot in this game until the final whistle. You know, if they're up yeah. by, if they're up to nothing, I've still got a shot because they ship goals late. And yeah. that's what you're looking for. Uh I think it's something New York has to solve, and I don't know if they can solve it at this point. I think they have to, you know, be who they are the rest of the season. But moving forward, I think it's something that Jesse Marsh has to look at long term and what he can do to keep his team fresher. Uh, meanwhile, in the West, FC Dallas has a firm hold on the top spot. Well, by firm, I mean four games. Um, LA Galaxy sitting in second, but they're only one point up on Colorado, and Colorado has two games in hand. Colorado is is the enigma. Um, I kind of thought they had been found out there for a while, and you know they kind of went into a swoon. They had the big win against Dallas uh, before the Open Cup final. I think Dallas was definitely looking at the final as opposed to that game with Colorado, which makes total sense. Um, I'm still not all the way convinced in Colorado uh, in terms of, of winning a title. I think being a strong defensive team can can be a handful in the playoffs, and I believe Colorado is they're by far the best defensive team in the West, and they're the best defensive team in the league. Uh, Toronto's close, but not quite as good. Uh, but then you start to look at how many goals Colorado scores, and they're near the bottom there too. So it's going to be tight. That matches playoff soccer, but you just wonder in those moments where you do need something going forward, who's going to give that to you. And I don't know who it is with Colorado. I don't either, but I know that if they, you know, if, if they don't completely implode that they're staring straight in the face of getting through the first round and LA is terrifying. We've seen LA be terrifying. Uh, we, we saw uh, uh, Giovanni Dos Santos really, step up and be that guy. And then, you know, you have landing Donovan coming off the bench. I'm still waiting for that hat trick off the bench. Um, I don't know how long I'm going to wait. You might be waiting a long time on that one. I know, but I, I, a man can dream. Hat trick. Uh, Rick is not walking through that door. (laughs) Um, but the point is like, you've also like, as we get down on the table and it mucks up, uh, Portland's holding a pretty holding like got the hold steady going on there with the six spot. Seattle's hanging by a thread, a bunch, uh, but six points back. Uh, Vancouver's four points back, and Vancouver and Seattle play this week. So, oh boy, oh boy, that might be an elimination game. If there's a loser, I think they're done. 
Um, I think you're absolutely right. Vancouver, I, I thought they were done, and they, they pulled out a, a big win for them in Columbus last week to kind of stay alive here. San Jose and Seattle drew last week, so they're still hanging on. Portland seems to be getting it together, and this is the time of year that, that Caleb Porter does this. They've been one of the best teams in the league over the last few years going into the last month. And, I mean, looking at the standings right now, if it's Portland at Colorado in the first round, and I had to place a $100 bet on who's winning that game, I don't know who I pick. And that's your three versus six. I would have a hard time picking against Portland in that game. That might be some Portland devil magic coming out. That's what they do. They just, yeah. they just get in the door and they, they kind of do the old, in a, in a different way, they kind of do the, the old Dominic Kinnear, Bruce Arena thing with, we'll get through the regular season, we'll get into the playoffs, and then that's where we turn it on. Yeah, so. um, uh, Skipping back to the East, because we did kind of miss this, but at the bottom there, uh, Orlando's hanging on. They've got a game in hand on New England, who they're a point ahead of. Um, DC United also one point back. And it's kind of like a three-team race right now for that last spot for the honor to play probably one of the New Yorks. Um, yeah, I mean, can you think can can Orlando hang on here? I think they can. Um, New England is the one that I don't think they can afford to to give up anything else. And you know, now they've got to bounce back after losing in the Cup final. They've got to go to Montreal, who has something to prove themselves. Um, New England's in trouble, and I think they. I don't think they're quite in win-out territory, but they're pretty close. Um, DC goes to Chicago this week, and that's a winnable game on the road, which you don't you don't find a lot of those. So you have to get three points there if you're DC United, especially after beating Chicago 6-2 last time you faced them. Um, it's critical for, for three points for DC. Uh, Orlando, they host Chicago. Uh, sorry, they host Columbus. Um, which is a game they should win. So if they lose that, they, they don't have any business, you know, being in the playoffs. They have to win that game against the last place team. So DC and Orlando both have games that they really have to win to solidify where they're at against the two bottom teams in the conference. And, and we'll see if they both deliver. At that we will, um, taking a look elsewhere around the league as we kind of take a quick shot of the playoff picture. Um, Jason, we can take a look at guys who might be looking for a new club next year. Guys Atlanta could look at, or guys who could just be moving around because, you know, change. Well, we talked about Michael Parkhurst, who, you know, at a, a former U.S. national team defender, 32, uh, has been a stalwart with the crew since he came over or came back to the league. He started with New England before he went to Europe. Um, he's a player I think you have to consider. You know, if you can pencil in a guy like that to be your one of your starting center backs you you have to look at it um benny failhaber is another one we've talked about but i think he's possibly a little more likely to go overseas there's been interest from israel for him and the money might the money might just be too much for what atlanta might think they could get by trying to get his rights and then signing him um there's going to be goalkeepers on the move in the league for sure. And we've talked about that a ton with your Zach McMaths and possibly a Sean Johnson and uh, possibly a Steve Clark from Columbus. There's going to be goalkeepers to be had. And 
you know, it's not something Atlanta needs to, to stress about. There's going to be options. Um, beyond that, are there any players that, that you've seen that you kind of think are candidates for either one of these, you know, different acquisition set situations like a reentry or a waiver draft uh, or the expansion draft or a player you think Atlanta could possibly get in a trade? Um, we've pretty much gone over everybody I've thought of. Um, there are a couple of guys overseas who are just kind of like kind of shots in the dark. We kind of hope that it could happen, but you, you, you just see the, and they're more so names than anything. Um, one name I've always wondered about is if he ever comes to the MLS, I'm not saying it'll happen right now is, uh, because, and a lot of it is because he keeps getting loaned out. It's Giuseppe Rossi, who I know American fans like to get angry at. Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> well, hey, um, if I'm not mistaken, he said through his agent that he made the wrong choice. It was a tough choice. I mean, oh yeah, I don't, know, I don't begrudge him, but I mean, I don't really either. Uh, I think if he was gonna come back, he he might have done it. There was some talk about it this summer, actually, and I think if he comes back, it'll probably be to a Philadelphia or New York. One of the yeah, New York teams. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy from up there. Yeah, it's where he's from. So I think if if he's going to come back, it's going to have to be a situation like that where he's close to home and he wants to be near the family. So I, but that's I'd, a name that I've thought about as as a guy coming back. Um, if you can go and again like a pipe dream, if you can go into Scotland and in the middle of the night steal Perry Kitchen, you do it. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, that's an easy one. If I hear anything about. Perry Kitchen looking for a move. Uh, I'm all over it. That's a call I make pretty fast. Um, but yeah, as far as MLS guys, we've pretty much covered a lot of them. We'll see more. I'm sure there are more that uh, I know I haven't thought of. And maybe you guys have kind of said maybe, but not really, who then become real options. Uh, but as you said, the closer we get to the end of the regular season, into the playoffs, I think the picture will become much more clear about who's who's going to be there and who's not. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the league, for sure. And I think with those international signings, you know, we're talking names that, that we follow and, and players that are well known. I think you're going to see at least one or two players, you know, more along the lines, maybe not as expensive, but more along the lines of a Fischalba who, you know, are promising players who you might not know as much about yet. Because when you start to get into the the Rolodexes of your Darren Eels and, and Carlos Bocanegras and Paul McDonough's, you're going to have some connections and you're going to be able to find some of those hidden gems that will benefit from the playing time they could get here. Oh, look, if, uh, if I could have brought over a Musa Dembele to the United States, I'd have done it for, and, and uh, not even thought about it. Mm-hmm. There's for guys. Yeah. Then there's, there's more like that. Exactly. There, there's guys like that in a lot of situations. And, you know, maybe you get them on a loan with an option to buy. Maybe, you know, they it's a player who wasn't a fit at the club they were at and they're looking for a new start. There's going to be some players like that. So, you know, when we look at some of these signings, you know, it's not always about the name. Um, it's not always about, you know, oh, well, they came from this club or they're a big name and we need to sell some shirts. I don't, I don't think that's the situation here. They need, you know, quality players who are going to play well in MLS. And that's, that's what's important here. Yeah. And I hope that's what we keep going to is these quality players. I don't, I don't want to become that team where you're bringing in and it's no disrespect to guys like Pirlo, the best mess, the best dressed man ever. Um, (laughs) 
but I don't want, you know, 33, 34, 35 year old guys just coming in trying to end their careers here. No, I mean, I want guys who are going to come in and, you know, coming in direct shop basically. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you want players who are going to contribute and I don't think Atlanta has to force it with any of these signings. I think they're, no. the club's established. I think the fan base is established at this point with the season ticket numbers and that's all been because of excitement about having this club here in Atlanta. It hasn't been about a name, a jersey, a player, a coach. It's been about the project. But Christian Pulisic is going to look really good in that jersey. I mean, if Arthur wants to cut that check. But <laughs> I think there's going to be some bigger teams that are willing to spend more money to get uh, Pulisic if he is available. I think I think Jurgen might actually throw things if Pulisic came stateside. Hey, hey if, if that's the case, I'm down. <laughs> um, All right, we, we, didn't, we, we didn't mention it. Uh, Carlos Ruiz. I, I need to hear your oh, thoughts yes. on Carlos Ruiz. Carlos Ruiz is bad. <laughs> what do you What do you think about Mister Ruiz? Oh, um, oh God. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it back up because I'd completely forgotten about it and I'd closed everything out open I had on it. Um, but Carlos Ruiz is going to score goals until he's about 65. Yeah, he might. Or 70. He might. He's he's found the fountain of youth again somehow. I mean, do you, like there's been all kinds of different things. I mean, you have some people who just can't stand Carlos Ruiz because of the type of player he is. You have the usual, like, oh, it's an old guy. MLS signs old guys. That Did you watch the last game? Yeah. I mean, come on. Let's, did you see what he did to America? <laughs> let's, let's, get, let's get real about Carlos Ruiz in a situation. Dallas needed a forward off the bench who was yeah, going to cause some intimidation to their opponents. Um, they don't have that right now. Now they do with Carlos Ruiz. Uh you know, if you're looking at bringing a young, unproven player off the bench when you need a goal late, or you're bringing Carlos Ruiz, you're bringing Carlos Ruiz. It's not hard. You're not signing him to play 90 minutes. You're not signing him for three years. You're signing him for a couple months. You're signing him to help put you over the top. Um, this is a guy who's probably going to be very motivated to do well in the situation because he knows his career is almost over. Um, how, you know, you would want to go out on top. You want to go out lifting that trophy. Um, if this is the last, you know, the last ride of Carlos Ruiz um, going back to Dallas and doing it with that team, he fits into that team. Well, he can come off the bench and be a, you know, a handful for opponents. And I'm sorry, Carlos Ruiz. I mean, I hear it from, from fans all over the league. Like, oh, I hate Carlos Ruiz. He's a flopper and all this stuff. If Carlos Ruiz is on your team, you like him because he works hard. He doesn't stop. He's always putting forth an effort. He's not a lazy player. He's not a dirty player in the sense that he's going to take cheap shots at you. He's going to drive you crazy in the way he plays, as we saw Ricardo Clark lose his mind once and try to punt Carlos Ruiz into the front row. Um He's, I, I mean, you can call it dirty and some people will, some people will get mad that I said Carlos Ruiz is not a dirty player. Carlos Ruiz does everything possible to try to help his team win is what it comes down to. And if that's trying to do things that the referee doesn't see, sure, 
there's absolutely going to be in some alternate universe. There is a team that is headed up at the front by Carlos Ruiz and Iron Robin, and that team is oh. just the most hated team in that universe. Oof. <laughs> Here, here's the question, and I don't know which one's actually going to be more important to to Dallas in their playoff run. Uh, will Carlos Ruiz score more goals or draw more red cards? I don't know the answer because they're both equally plausible. But again, he's there now. He fits, and yeah, I mean he's he's going to score goals. Watch, he's going to score goals in the playoffs, and he's going to infuriate people because he scores goals. I don't know what's going to make people more angry, though. Are people going to get more angry if and when, if and when, because it's a win? He, you know, takes a flop, takes a cheap shot, or something. Or are they can get more angry when this thirty-seven-year-old man uh, comes off the bench and breaks a team's heart. Yep, I don't know. It's it's going to be something. And the thing about this deal that that's been interesting to me is. You know, you know our friend Ricardo Montoya, uh, who oh, yeah. t- took the A license class with Oscar Pereja and talks to Pereja a good bit in Dallas, and he's been talking to him about the situation because Dallas has been looking for another forward for quite a while, and they, you know, now once the transfer window ended, you had limited ways to get a forward. You couldn't make a trade in the league because the transfer window was closed. You couldn't sign a player's under contract. You had to get a player who was out of contract or a player out of the USL or NASL. And, you know, Ricardo knows the USL and NASL uh, better than just about anybody in the country. And there's players there who, if you're looking to sign a player for, you know, a full season for a couple years, there's players there that would be better signings than Carlos Reese for two months. There's not. There's just not a player with Carlos's pedigree and a player with the fear that he will strike into opponents. There's not one of those players that Dallas could go get. And they they talked about it for a while. And, you know, Ricardo kind of, you know, half jokingly said, like, look, you know, I can give you a list of 20 players, but the best option you have is Carlos Ruiz. Yeah. And, and- eventually that's what it came down to. You, we talked about like having that guy who strikes fear in the heart. We talked last week, Jason, about L.A. having that guy in Donovan coming off the bench to scare the living bejesus out of you. Ruiz can scare the living bejesus out of you for Dallas off the bench. He's the same way. It's the exact same thing. And, and anybody who starts with the nonsense about, you know, oh, it's a retirement league because of Donovan and Ruiz, you're an idiot. You're not paying attention. Like, these are signings for the last month of the regular season plus the playoffs. These are those signings that you see in baseball late in the season. This is Ray Allen shopping himself around to any team that would take him that was in the playoffs or about to be in the playoffs. This happens. This is not like abnormal. MLS is not inferior because of Landon Donovan and Carlos Ruiz signing this year. And it's not like, it's not like Dallas is, you know, Chicago just signing a guy, you know, for, you know, whatever reason, maybe to bring in tickets or just to see what he's got or maybe to coach up the young kids or whatnot. No, this is the team that just won the U.S. Open Cup is probably going to take home a second trophy before the next few weeks is up and is going to go be going for the first ever treble. I mean, this is this is a big this is a big slugging team. This is a, this is the Chicago Cubs uh, signing a veteran hitter before the playoffs. Yep, it's the final piece. It's that last piece that you need. You know, you look at Dallas and. 
what they've had in the past, and they had it last year off the bench um, and starting in games two, was that that poacher, that goal scorer late. And you had Blas Perez, who did a lot of that for you last year. You don't have that right now. And Maxi Arruti is, is your guy, and he's going to be your player, and he's going to start and play you know, the majority of every game. But when you need a goal late and you have to have something happen, Carlos Ruiz is a good option to have off the bench. It's the same for L.A., you know, when, when you're late in a game and you can bring on, you know, an academy signing who's unproven to play 15 minutes in the most pressure-packed part of it or bring on a player like Landon Donovan who you know and trust and can can give you 15 minutes, you want the veteran. You know, we're not talking about, you know, keeping a young player out of the starting lineup on a regular basis. We're talking about that that third sub we're talking about that sub when your team is down and you've you're rolling the dice and you're, you've done everything you can do. And this is the last option you have. You want a veteran who, you know, you can trust to not, you know, be overwhelmed by that moment. Oh yeah. And he's that guy, by the way, you bring in in the 65th or 70th minute of uh, a tied game in the second leg when it's one, one after when it, when it's like two, two on aggregate, two one one games and you're in the second leg and there's twenty minutes left, you bring him in and the entire stadium goes, Oh boy. Yep. Here we go. Twenty exactly. minutes of hell. Let's go. And yeah, so absolutely it's it's a smart signing. I'm just kind of tickled that Ruiz won't go away. And it's not that I want him to, it's not that I find him annoying. I'm I'm impressed more than anything because he's thirty seven years old and he's still doing it. And he's gonna probably gonna score a goal in the playoffs and gonna ruin somebody's day. That's hilarious to me. And I'm I'm more than anything I'm impressed. I I kind of I kind of like Carlos Ruiz. Um, I guess you know I'm also the the wrestling fan who who kind of likes well, the heel sometimes. Heel. So yeah, and Carlos Ruiz is the ultimate heel. So I have to I respect his game. I respect his healing, and he's he's going to be a handful in the playoffs. He just he will be. Well, speaking of um, now that we got through that, God, that was worth it. Um, playoffs uh, coming up. Taking a look at this week, so not really playoffs, but kind of setting for the playoffs. Um, it's a busy schedule this week, Jason. A lot of big games. Um, Sunday, though, features a couple of feature games, including Toronto, New York, playing each other, you know, fighting it out. But um, there's a lot of games this week that are kind of going to set the stage for this last little sprint. We're kind of kicking, so uh, as it were, like this. This is a. I think of this as, you know, you know, a, a 1,200 meters. And you're in the last hundred meters, and you kick. Here we are. Yeah, I mean, most teams have five, six games left. Um, you've got you've, some of the ones we talked about already, where you've got teams who are fighting to get in, and then you've got a game like uh, New York City hosting Dallas, that is you know, two of the top teams in the league, and trying to Dallas is trying to win their second trophy, uh, win the Supporters Shield. And New York City's trying to avoid that one-game playoff um, where you could get knocked out. And then you've got the battle for the top spot in the East with Toronto hosting the Red Bulls on Sunday, the last game of the weekend. That's a huge one. Yeah, that's deciding who's going to get a... I mean, depending on how Dallas-New York City goes, that's... Those two games are deciding who's gonna who's gonna get to rest for week week one and who's gonna have to go into the chaos blender. Yeah, I think I think Toronto wins the East. I think New York City comes in second. I think the Red Bulls move into that third spot and have to host Orlando in the playoffs. 
Well, for, I mean, and that and that is, you know, we've talked about it before. You don't want to be in that third or fourth spot. You don't want to have to play it because, sure, it's, you know, the sixth place or fifth place team. It's the playoffs. Stupid things happen in one-off games. And the best example you need is last year watching Portland win a playoff game and survive because a ball on a penalty bounced off both posts and came out. And they went on to win the entire thing. Weird stuff happens in the playoffs. And it's it makes the MLS such a unique environment compared to the rest of the world. Do you want to be in a one game playoff if you're the Red Bulls or let's say NYCFC hosting Orlando and you look across the field and you see Kaka and Kyle Laren against you? No, of course not. Because those guys can end your season. Those guys have been so good at that kind of ninety uh, first minute. Oh, look what we just did! Whoops. Orlando, especially, yeah. That's, I mean, what, that's what I mean. Like, Orlando's been that team. 91st minute, they're totally capable of just ruining your day. Well, flip it. Look at the West. Look at who's in that sixth spot there. Portland. Same yeah. thing. It, that This is vintage Portland, though, just to come out of nowhere and uh, just, you know, come out of nowhere in the sense that they were struggling. But this is vintage Portland to get hot just at the right time coming into the playoffs and wreck shop. Like they, like I said, they might have to play L.A. and one game playoff. That's not, that's not a game you want to play if you're L.A. No, not at all. Um, you've got about a month left in the regular season, and there's going to be some fun stories in this next month about who gets in, who doesn't, who gets into which spot. But if you've never really watched a full MLS playoff run. You have to this season because there's going to be so many stories, so many great matches, and the intensity of MLS playoff soccer is just hard to match. It's it's so much fun to watch. So highly recommended. Make sure all those games are going to be available on national TV. You definitely have to watch those. Absolutely. And we'll keep you up to date as the weeks go on. Um but that about wraps it up for us this week, Jason, unless you uh, got anything else you need to speak on. Uh, I have no breaking news. Um, Tata Martino has has not been hired by Atlanta United yet as of uh, late, late Thursday night. <laughs> um, we'll see what happens over the next few days. But it's a it's an interesting time in Atlanta United land right now. Absolutely. Well, for Jason Longshore, I'm Jarrett Smith. Again, you can find us on Twitter at Longshoe. That's Jason Longshore. You can find me, Jarrett underscore Smith. Be sure to check out Dirty South Soccer, Peachtree Post as well on Twitter. Find Dirty South Soccer for all your up-to-date Atlanta United and Atlanta soccer information. Thanks again, everybody. We'll catch you next week.